from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We all know times are tough right now, and it's hard to believe it was just a year ago when the Portland region was enjoying record economic growth and more than 10 years of economic expansion. We talked about it here on Straight Talk. Then literally the next day after the show, the pandemic hit. Businesses shut down and a massive recession followed. In this episode of Straight Talk, we look at what happened, how Portland compares to other regions, and how we can best chart a course for economic recovery. We also have results of a new poll that reveals how people are feeling right now and their top concerns. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the Portland Business Alliance CEO, Andrew Hone, ECHO Northwest President John Taponia, and President of DHM Research, Michelle Neese, to talk about the 2021 State of the Economy. Thank you for joining us and coming back again. And what a difference since you all were here last time. In just a couple of sentences, how would you describe this sort of economic whiplash we've experienced since then? We'll begin with Andrew Hone. Sure. Uh, thanks for having us, Laurel, again, and uh, appreciate the attention to our economy. And I would phrase this really simply as fire and ice. We have had historic wildfires. We just went through historic ice storms. In between it all, pandemics, uh, ongoing political violence, and a layering of crises that has impacted this region much differently than the rest of the nation. So. It, it is unprecedented, and I know all of my colleagues will share that perspective, and, and especially here in Portland. John, how would you describe it? Yeah, much of the same. I mean, here we were last year talking about the longest economic expansion in U.S. history, and then, you know, the next day uh, we have precipitous decline in employment. We're down, uh, down 15%. Uh, and it's and it's a very unusual recession caused by something outside of the economy, a public health crisis coming in uh, that has created tremendous inequities, uh, very disproportionately impacting lower income households and small businesses and leaving other parts of the economy untouched. And Michelle, how would you describe it? Um, Equine, both. John and Andrew, the unprecedented challenges that we're facing right now, and we're still working through those challenges, um, which brings a lot of uncertainty about the future and what it holds. There were some highs that we'll talk about along with the lows. First, one of the low points, John, what happened, you mentioned this briefly, with employment. Right. So just right out of the gate, we closed the economy to save it, sort of put the whole economy into a coma in order to save ourselves. And, you know, we ended up with unemployment rates uh, up in the mid-teens, uh, lots of lots of folks um, in the leisure and hospitality sector, but also sort of surprisingly in the healthcare sector early on uh, were unemployed because all that routine healthcare was taken offline. Uh, and then, you know, beginning with June, we started to snap back and the healthcare workers went back and you started to be able to do routine medicine, et cetera. And we had sort of a gradual climb back, got some of the easy wins back, and then it starts to stall out. You get to the point where it really is the leisure and hospitality sector uh, that is uh, in suspense right now. And we can only put so many people 
onto sidewalks or, or most lately into restaurants, but socially distanced. So it, we're going to be in this period until this vaccine is fully deployed, until we have this virus under control. But there, there has been a high point. The really good news is the lives saved by the COVID safety measures that the area took. And Andrew, tell us more about the lives saved and how we compare to the rest of the nation. Yeah, the analysis ran uh, really benchmarked what the uh, outbreak rates amongst other regions were compared to Portland. And you can see the analysis here, which delivers the fact that if, if we had been like any other place, uh, the average, uh, 2,000 more lives would have been lost. So because of the social compact, the agreement between everyday residents, business, and government, uh, the resulting impact was that we successfully kept people alive. And one thing that's just absolutely critical to understand about the import of that is that this is something to be celebrated. Uh, it is something to be cherished. These are individuals, these are humans, uh, their, their lives are valuable to all of us, but it has had consequences. Those consequences can't be ignored, but it was a sacrifice uh, in large part uh, in agreement between business, government, and residents uh, to preserve life. And in the long term, the resulting economic rebound will inevitably be stronger here in some senses because of the heightened restrictions uh, so I believe the, the potential that is awaiting us when we can return to normalcy uh, is actually something that will be greater here than the rest of our regions. And Michelle, your firm DHM conducted a poll this past December, and one of the questions you asked voters is what they think about the quality of life and the direction the region is headed. What did you learn? Well, uh, residents in our region have a lot of concerns about quality of life right now. Um, we did make that packed to save lives and in by December people are getting fatigued of the toll it's taking um, and what you can see in this graph is that the number of people who think we are headed in the right direction has dropped to 32 percent which means actually more people in this area think that we are on the wrong track than think we are on the right track um, and I'll, I just want to point out that that's actually particularly true in the city of Portland. Um, people are split in terms of how they feel in Clackamas and Washington County. Um, and in Multnomah County, there's more people in that wrong direction group. Thank you, Michelle. Let's explore what's happening with the quality of life a little more, which would include the job outlook. And you, you touched on this, John, the sectors that saw the biggest job losses during the pandemic. And we have a graphic that really illustrates that. Can you speak just a little bit more about that? Right. So ground zero is anything that requires uh, social distancing. And so in your accommodation, the hotel and the, and the food services, those are the ones, uh, these light bars sort of show you how bad it got when it was when it was its worst, and the darker bar there is where it stand, st stood as of uh, December 20th. If you sort of move up a little bit from the bottom, you get to transportation manufacturing, and that is the impact of, of companies like Precision Cast Parts, uh, which lost uh, a lot of business uh, related to Air, airline travel. Uh, they have big contracts with Boeing and others. And so that's also a sort of a transportation tourism related impact. And then the local colleges uh, in that local education also getting a hit because they've had a harder time delivering education in this virtual environment. 
And Andrew, with schools closed, talking about education, how did that impact the workforce, especially women? Yeah, 33% more women exited the, the workforce than men. And I think it tells the story of what John's indicating around the industries that were impacted and also the reality that our schools have closed, children are at home, they're learning from home, and we've seen a disproportionate impact on women in the economy. And that has long-term consequences. One would presume that they could be rectified once we go back to in-school learning, but the impacts are disproportionate, right? And we see that not just amongst women, but also among the outlook around BIPOC households and their views about their um, uh, economic outlook. So. I think what you're seeing is a really interesting restructuring happening in the economy that, that John's teeing up here in the report that has really far-reaching impacts in different sectors of our economy. And we've talked about this before, John, during the economic expansion before the pandemic, many black, indigenous, Hispanic, Latinx, and Asian residents did not see the same economic lift that white residents saw. How did the pandemic and recession affect that gap, John? just made it much worse. I mean, what, what we were telling in last year's report is that we had this uh, record-setting economic expansion, and just by the end, you were starting to see some improvement uh, in median household incomes among Black and Latino and uh, Native American households, et cetera. Uh, and then this really just undid a lot of that. We'll, we'll sort of see the damage more as time goes on. But here, here you can sort of see uh, findings at the Oregon level for households that are saying they're having a very difficult time paying their usual expenses. That's where these bars are. So Hispanic and Latino households in December, 30% saying they're having a very hard time making ends meet, 28% of blacks, only 17% of whites. And that really does have to do with where these job losses are being hit, and they're being hit in the leisure and hospitality sector, and people of color are disproportionately working in that sector. Let's go back to the DHM poll. It also revealed how many people say they're doing okay and how many are really struggling. Tell us about that, Michelle. Right, so very consistent with the findings that John just showed us. You know, one in three people in the Portland metro region say that they are worse off than they were two years ago. Um, in part, this highlights the fact that the economic situation has not impacted everyone equally. Some people are having a harder time and are worse off. And again, echoing what John and Andrew just said, the people in particular who are worse off right now compared to two years ago are people of color, are women, and are our young residents, 18 to 34, who are likely because they make up a good portion of those um, employed in the service industry and hospitality. And shifting gears a little bit, we've heard a lot about how civil unrest and the destruction people saw on TV may have affected Portland's reputation. John, did your study get any hard data that shows Portland's reputation has been hurt? What trends are you seeing? Yeah, you know, a couple that stand out. Uh, one that's worrisome uh, is the Urban Land Institute uh, does surveys of real estate investors and bankers and others who would provide money to build housing. Uh, and commercial development in the Portland metropolitan area. Uh, we were as high as number three uh, in the nation in, term, uh, in uh, 2017. We fell to number 66 uh, in their measure uh, for 2021. So, you know, a lot of people outside sort of just watching the news, especially back in July of last year and all the 
focus during the presidential election on Portland, et cetera. And their sentiment is, is down right now. You also see it in some surveys uh, among tourists, although I, what we heard yesterday uh, in, in an event is that some of those sentiments are starting to pick up a little bit. And a lot of people also notice the homelessness. So let's go back to the DHM survey. Despite an unprecedented pandemic, homelessness is still remains the top concern in the Tri-County area. Tell us more about that, Michelle, what you're seeing there. Well, um, homelessness has been a top concern for the past several years. And I think if anything, the pandemic has just elevated it uh, in terms of we can see people who have been hit economically and, um, and don't have a place to live. And what you do also see is that COVID-19 has, has risen nearly as high as homelessness as a top concern. And then related to what uh, we were just talking about in terms of those perceptions of Portland, even here in the Portland region, crime has risen into a, one of the top three concerns. Let me bring Andrew back as we look at all of this. What is the short-term impact from the pandemic, do you think, Andrew? And what is the true, more lasting impact to Portland's reputation and the opportunity for recovery? Well, we're, we're all struggling around the question of brand recovery or, or what does that even mean? And I think some good news is that all the trend lines from the reputation that are, that are tracked by our partners at Travel Portland that do a lot of external work with how we're perceived across the nation and beyond, all of it's trending back in the right direction. So if you were to be a prognosticator here, you would say that the, the reputational challenges that we're presently face, facing are recovering and trending in the right direction. They are short term, uh, but it all comes down to confidence and whether or not we as a community are confident that we can return to a new sense of normal and that confidence that we establish uh, by having the basics uh, return public safety the things that people generally care about cleanliness the ability to serve the homeless uh, in a compassionate way that will send the messages outward that we need to have which is that this city functions as we know it does uh, and that we're capable of managing through these crises, which we have and face greater crises than any other region so I think this is a short-term short impact. The questions of long-term challenges uh, will have to be unpacking for years to come, but I'm confident and bullish on Portland, and we're already seeing the trends move in the right direction. And as we talk about recovery, John, I know you're looking at Israel as a good example. What are you seeing there? Well, I mean, we, why we want to pay attention to that is that uh, by last count, I think they had up to two-thirds of their population uh, inoculated with uh, at least the first dose of the vaccine. So it, it does become a bit of a postcard from the future. Uh, watch Israel, watch data on Israel. Uh, hopefully, we're going to see their infection and death rates uh, fall uh, precipitously here as they get into the second dose and they get that sort of two weeks after that second dose. So uh, what happens in Israel, uh, hopefully good news there is a preview of what could happen here. John, Andrew, Michelle, thank you. It's time for us to take a break. This year's State of the Economy report put a special focus on the impact a lot of new taxes are having on household budgets in the region. We'll look at that when we come back. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. 
Voters in the Tri-County area passed a lot of new taxes recently. How is that affecting household budgets? The new State of the Economy report takes a look at that. Welcome once again to my guest, the Portland Business Alliance CEO, Andrew Hone, President of Echo Northwest, John Taponia, and President of DHM Research, Michelle Neese. Once again, great to have you here. Let's just jump right into all these taxes, take a look at it. You took a close look at the impact of eight new taxes imposed since 2018 on household budgets and how that compares to other peer cities. The median household income for our region is just over $78,000. This graphic shows the impact on a family family earning $75,000 a year. John Taponia, what does this tell us? Well, what it tells us is, I mean, first of all, uh, what you'd see when you go to the full report is that, you know, Portland was already pretty high on taxes. Uh, Washington, D.C.'s chief financial officer every year goes through the major cities across the United States and benchmarks relative to D.C. So you can sort of get those updates. And in Portland, among the peer regions, uh, that, that uh, Portland Business Alliance checks against was number one in taxation for state and local taxes in 2018. And then we've added uh, these various taxes. We've got uh, you know the clean energy tax, the uh, pre-K tax, the homelessness tax, housing bond, parks bond, et cetera. And we've added, uh, you know, for a $75,000 household, uh, a little bit less than 7% uh, to their tax bill. And so, so we were number one coming in in 2018. We've added some to it. Uh, you know, it's a point to sort of s stop and reflect and, 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 and look at services and taxation. Well, Andrew, these are taxes that, for the most part, the Portland Business Alliance endorsed. What are your thoughts about the impact they're having? Yeah, uh, guilty uh, as charged, right? And uh, one thing this builds on is some profound work that was done last year by our state business partners that analyzed the burden of taxation on businesses. And we moved from being the, the 40th lowest burden on businesses amongst all states to being number 19. And it was a rapid ascent. And you know, businesses really thrive on predictability. Uh, and when you have that much burden placed on the business community, it changes the dynamics as well as the competitive competitiveness of the state to attract business and grow business. And then what we wanted to accomplish with this analysis was the question, how does this impact the average household? And what had writ large has proven is that all these taxes which we've asked for and we've approved uh, really hit uh, the bottom line in a pretty significant way. And that uh, ultimately changes the affordability of the region. And that is an important issue to businesses. It's important to residents. We've asked for these services because we've prioritized them. But what's clear is that many of the reasons we enacted these taxes is because we felt there wasn't a partner on the federal level and that there wasn't a partner on the state level. So we decided to take things on our own that are traditionally the remit of other levels of government. And I think for all of us, we, we've made a rapid movement towards increasing the taxation base here. And what I think voters and the business community uh, need now, loudly, and I think we can all concur on this, is that the enacted taxes need to be executed on, that the promises made have to be delivered uh, because we have these expectations. And that as we look to the future for new potential sources of taxation, we have to be not asking the question, what sounds good at the voter box? Because that's what's driven so much of these decisions is what's popular or what resonates. We have to be asking, what is the impact to the household? 
because if we don't look at that first, we risk making this region unaffordable. And that's not good for residents, it's not good for business. Let's talk more about impact. Even without a sales tax, we're paying more than most other peer cities. And we have another graphic that shows the new taxes as a percentage of taxation per income. What does this tell us, John? Is, is it the taxing becoming regressive? Well, it, it, you know, so th this is basically showing that comparison that I was describing a moment ago, uh, where in 2018, uh, Portland's number one, and then here, here you go, this is what we're adding. Uh, and, and this chart is being driven by the couple of property tax uh, increases. Those are sizable and they do tend to hit uh, renters and lower income families uh, harder. And, and so if you think about where we have been with taxation, Oregon has always sort of had this heavy reliance on an income tax. Uh, we are taxing income at a, at a relatively high rate. Uh, and so if you want to continue taxation, there are only so many places you can go. Politically, we haven't wanted to go to the sales tax, so we lean on the, on, on the property tax, and that's what you're getting with this answer here is sort of a disproportionate impact on those lower-income households. And Michelle, DHM polled voters on their opinion on taxes, and what did they say? Well, you know, we see a plurality of voters who are saying, let's maintain taxes and the level of services we have right now, um, around 40%. And fewer want to see taxes raised along with increased services. Um, for the most part, I think, as, as we've mentioned, delivery on what we have now is, is more of a priority. Oh, I want to ask you before... Um before we close, Michelle, to kind of from what you've heard throughout this show, what's the bottom line for you? Um, the bottom line for me is just that there's a lot of uncertainty right now. That's what I, I see um, in my work and that there is hope and optimism that we can move forward and um, make some progress on the challenges that we face now and that we're here before the pandemic. And John, about a minute, uh, can you summarize for us uh, what this report tells us and the way forward? Well, the way forward is very clear. Get these vaccines out. <laughs> and all signs are that uh, you know, there are sizable uh, savings that people have and the federal government has been uh, robust in its response and, and apparently going to be even more robust here uh, perhaps in the next month. So we just need to get these vaccines out, continue the social distancing and mask wearing until then, and then the economy should start to take off. So where do you hope we are next year when you do your uh, State of the Economy report, John? Oh, I think we're going to be, I, I, I think we're going to be roaring next year at this time. Uh, one thing that I really want to see between now and then is I want to see that fence come down around the U.S. courthouse, uh, because at that point, I think we, we truly feel like there's a, a recovery in downtown as well. And Andrew, about a minute left for you to uh, put a bow on it for us. Yeah, I think there's two things we really have to focus on. One is getting back to basics, making sure that we're delivering on basic services so that people have that confidence that John is talking about, that government's delivering the services that they've been promised. Uh, and I think that just transcends all the needs that we have. We, we don't need to aspire to any other grand concepts or ideas, just delivering the basics, 
And then focusing on affordability, building housing at an accelerated rate uh, is something that has absolutely been needed for a long time. We've fallen short for years and years and years. And then lastly, we're at a moment, an inflection point. John just teed it up, but we're at an inflection point. We are going to rebuild. We are going to recover. But clearly, the racial inequities in our region and our nation have to be fixed. Now's the time to do it. So let's be optimistic and lead into that conversation. Andrew Hone, thank you. John Taponia, thank you. Michelle Nees, always great to have you here. And thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk now as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk. I hope you'll join me next week when my guest is Multnomah County's new district attorney, Mike Schmidt. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a good and safe week.